0: Common sense isn't all that common, but today we're going to load up on it with our guest Bruce Fenton, the co-host of the Satoshi Roundtable and founder of multiple financial organizations. Bruce has been in Bitcoin since 2013. He's got interesting insight into where we've been, where we are, and where we may be going. It's an optimistic look at the future with some content that may offend, so what else is new? That's what we do on this show. So welcome to episode number 694. Of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Two. Who's bad? Hey, gang. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. Joel, Tom here, Travis right there, and we got a great interview today with Bruce and Travis. Maybe we should give some listener warnings right up front. What do you think?
1: Yeah, well, we uh, here's the deal. Bruce ran for senator. Uh, of New Hampshire and so he's very he's some great political ideas and so this podcast is a little more political than usual but that's okay because that's life and you can listen to it right here so let's yeah
0: go. yeah well i want to challenge you guys as you listen to this that you know if if you don't like some of the ideas you hear push through Listen, and if you hear us being absolute about some things and you think it's crazy, go research it for yourself. Go actually research it. Don't just listen to what the media has told you or what social media through their censored lens has given you. Go research it for yourself and what you discover might be very surprising. So here we go. Bruce Fenton. So there's a lot to talk about in the world and in the world of blockchain and crypto. And so we have invited Bruce Fenton, the founder and CEO of Chainstone Labs, to the show to discuss all the things he's a cypherpunk stockbroker, managing director at Watchdog Capital, founder of Atlantic Financial and co-host of the Satoshi Roundtable. It's a retreat that gathers developers, CEOs, founders, academics, investors and other nerds and geeks. He's been doing it for 10 years he found bitcoin 10 years ago that's when he went in full-time in 2013 and he has been the executive director and board member for the bitcoin foundation a whole lot of credentials i'm not even sharing all of them with you bruce welcome to the republic of bad cryptopia good sir
2: thank you for having me good to see you guys
0: yeah there's man there is a lot to talk about and i could i could lead and, and ask a question. But my question is going to be what's on your mind right now? Like, what do, with all this turmoil going on? How are you feeling?
2: Well, I'm feeling good. I think it's an interesting time to be sure. It's a time of epic change, it's a time of craziness and chaos. And in our industry, especially, there's never a dull moment. But, you know, if you zoom out, our world is in a very, very interesting place right now, and it's changing probably more rapidly than anybody alive has seen you know these are the kind of things that happen every century or so you know there's been a lot of books and historical theory written about this the fourth turning is one of my favorites you know this concept of a fourth turning every hundred years or so when the world shakes up and changes and that's what we're going through right now so it's uh it's a big deal
1: Fourth turning indeed first of all thank you so much for coming on the show like we're really grateful we were uh chatting with you on on an event and i said hey dude i think we were on a, a twitter space and i was like hey i would love for you to come on bad crypto we've not had a chance to chat with you yet and we've been doing this for six years so thanks for coming on buddy yeah by all means glad to be here yeah. So I want to talk way back, Bruce Fenton, right? Because we, we did research on, on you and, and Atlantic Financial, like you were doing this stuff in the real old world of finance from like 94 to to the great crash of 2008. So maybe describe a little bit of that wave you saw there. And then when you discovered Bitcoin, like tell us, how what was that process you went through?
2: Yeah, I started real early. <clears throat> My mom was a... Uh... A stockbroker starting back in the 70s. So as a little kid, I was raised on the floor of a brokerage firm starting at age five every Mm. day after trading (laughs)
1: places style, huh?
2: (laughs) You got it every day after school. um, You know, it was even the same firm in that movie, uh, uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, Dean Witter was where my mom worked. That's where I got my first job. It it later acquired Morgan Stanley and took the Morgan Stanley name. Uh, But I started, you know, basically as a kid. And then I got my first job when I was 14 stuffing envelopes and being an assistant to brokers. And then I got licensed at age 19. That was uh, just over 30 years ago. So I've been registered with the SEC or FINRA in some form for about 30 years. So I have a lot of traditional finance experience. You know, I've worked with a lot of companies like Fidelity and large private equity firms. And I've served clients every, everywhere from people with $50 to, you know, $500 billion, you know, working with some of the biggest sovereign funds and some of the wealthiest people in the world. And then I got into Bitcoin. I was always interested in emerging markets and emerging technologies. So I was interested in the internet when it first, you know, the information superhighway first came about and I was investing in internet stocks. And uh, I was lucky enough to call the sort of the boom and the bust. I, I noticed that it was getting too overhyped. And and then I followed emerging markets. So I looked at uh, areas like the Middle East and, and Dubai before it was built up and then uh emerging technologies which brought me to bitcoin and i was always also very libertarian oriented and free market oriented so bitcoin was a natural fit that's how i originally found out about it like many people through kind of you know liberty circles and ancaps were were some of the only people interested in it a decade ago and then i've been sort of full time in the in the bitcoin uh, crypto space ever since you know i'm particularly interested in bitcoin and particularly interested in securities because securities is my background so anything that combines those things is something that that I'm interested in.
0: So, ten years ago, I'm sure, like all of us, when we discovered Bitcoin, you considered it revolutionary, and you saw, wow, this is this <clears throat> is a way forward for uh, for payments and uh, sovereignty and uh, decentralization in the future. Ten years on, are you where are we where you thought we would be, um, and is your Your vision for where Bitcoin is going to take us has it increased, or is there doubt because of all of, you know, what's happening, especially with the U.S. government?
2: You know, in some ways we're ahead. In some ways, I wish we were further. I, uh, I, you know, I wish that the I would have thought that by now that everything would be tokenized in the world. I thought that that securities and all the global stocks, including things that are traded and not traded, would have been tokenized. I think that's a natural fit. I think Bitcoin has done quite well. I think you know, imagining it at twenty six thousand is is kind of amazing. You know, when in those early days we were lucky if it was above a hundred. Um, so price wise, I think that's exciting to have these big institutions like the Fidelities and the Black Rocks and the Sailors of the World. I think and and you know, big sovereign funds and governments talking about it, I think is a is a big achievement. And I've always thought that Bitcoin was in the early days. I used to say it's a binary play. I'm like, this is either going to work or it's not going to work. If it works, it's it's not going to be a thousand dollars. It's going to be significantly above that, and I said that for many years. And every day that goes by that Bitcoin doesn't fail, that binary becomes more likely on the positive side. So the idea that you know this is either going to fail or or succeed, it seems a lot more likely to succeed every every day in those last ten years. You know, if you go back to twenty fourteen. Or something like that, you, you could have made a much stronger argument that, hey, maybe this is just a nonsensical thing and it's going to fail. You know, remember the t- tulip bubble? People used to compare it to the tulip bubble. That only lasted a few years. And Bitcoin's been around for, you know, 11, 12 years now. So, uh, you know, in, in its kind of the format it is now. So, um, you know, I think that's a big deal. And I think that this binary play is coming out on our side. So I think Bitcoin is here to stay. I think it's a real asset that will be, you know, in, in the world, just like, uh, you know, other currencies and metals and things like that. It's here to stay. And that that's a big deal because the more people that understand that narrative, the more we'll adopt it. And then hopefully it'll earn its place alongside others as a major global uh, money.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, there's so much other stuff that's going on, right? In the crypto space. And I think it's like, it seems the, the more that we go down this trail, it's like, oh, it's here's the story of Bitcoin. And then here's the story of all these other cryptocurrencies. Right. Um, and some of them are you're just going, man, these are just going to fail, fall flat on their face. Some of these they're under scrutiny from the SEC. They're not securities, but maybe they are securities. Now the SEC is going after people who have launched NFT series like Tom u and that, you know, impact theory making him. He's refunding all this money. Uh, You know, they're going after they're trying to go after DeFi now. And, you know, it seems like America has some things backwards with, you know, how they how they're looking at cryptocurrency. And I want to, first of all, commend you for running for, you know, the Republican senator candidate in uh, in New Hampshire uh, in 2022. And, uh, you know, we need more people who, who, you know, kind of see the vision of the future. Right. in tech. Technology and how these things are emerging, because it seems like a lot of you know the U.S. government they don't understand it. Congress doesn't understand it. They don't understand what the internet, Facebook is yet. Are we on the inter- are we really on the internet? If we're on Facebooks, and you're like, wow, <laughs> the- how are these people going to be the ones that are teaching us and making regulation about crypto? You know, so it's just yeah. it's just so wild what seems to be going on in this stage right now.
2: Yeah. The lunatics have taken over the asylum. You know, the America was never meant to have this huge administrative state with a whole bunch of technocrat bureaucrats, uh, lording over everybody and deciding what you can do and who you can enter, you know, buy this or that. I mean, it's, it's kind of gotten crazy and you have these piles and piles of regulations created by these bureaucrats that don't help the economy and they cause quite a bit. Quite unfortunate that we have, you know, first of all, it's, it's unfortunate that, that the SEC is trying to declare so many things as security. But what's much more important than that, you know, I love securities. I told you my background, you know, I've been in security. Beautiful and wonderful. It's one of the greatest inventions in human economic history. The idea of, especially stocks, you know, stocks are, are securities and stocks are a very, very stocks. You know, let me know because you're going to change the world just like the. East India company, stocks, stocks are a big deal. We need to make them work better. So the tragic, the tragedy is not just that they call everything a security. It's that it makes it so difficult in the United States. I'd like to see a world where it doesn't matter if something's a security. You say, okay, yeah, maybe it's a security, maybe not. Who cares? Go ahead and trade it. Let people trade. Let the market decide. Let people have freedom. If people want to, I thought a lot of NFTs, I love the idea of NFTs, but I thought that many of them were extremely stupid and absolutely insane uh, prices. I was showing all my art collection right before. Uh, You know, I have a Jack Kirby original on the wall. If you're a comic book fan, you'll know Jack Kirby is, you know, the king of comics. Uh, And I bought that for a fraction of what some of these NFTs were going for. So as somebody who loves art, I thought that the prices were crazy. But as a liberty person and a free market person, I say, that's not my business. And it's certainly not mother government's business. And I don't need a bunch of tyrants stealing my wages so that they can have a bunch of bureaucrats go chase somebody for selling nfts or buying nfts that's not here 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 bruce we just want to
1: applaud you on that one that was nice because (laughs) thank you mother government they got their tentacles in everything now and it's like you know i saw this really great image of the capitol building and underneath it were all these sort of tentacles and roots that are just like connecting to all these other sub organizations and it's almost to the point now bruce in my opinion that America needs a capital, maybe like in Topeka, Kansas or something. Get it out of Washington, D.C., because that whole area is just like that place needs an enema. Oh, yeah.
2: You know, it's interesting. I I remember back in the 80s, my dad lived down in Mm D.C., and uh, the economy was doing quite well. And uh, D.C. was a mess. It was terrible. It was all run down and, and there was a lot of crime and it was it was kind of falling apart. And, uh, you know, they, it was big news if they put in an Applebee's or something like that. They had like fancy restaurants that the lobbyists went to and then they'd put in an Applebee's and it was big news. Well, now you fast forward 30 years. their well, like mayor goes, was
1: like doing crack, wasn't he? Like Mary and Barry oh, yeah, or whatever his name was. Like.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Mary Barry. When Barry's your background. mayor's smoking crack, Bruce, you're, <laughs> the city's not doing so good.
2: <laughs> but, you know, ironically, the, 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 the worst D.C. does, it seems like the better America is. So now we have the opposite. Now D.C. is this luxury palace. Filled with fancy, there's fancy restaurants everywhere. All the cars are hundred thousand dollar plus cars. Everybody's making a fortune. There's a, there's a bunch of very very overpaid government bureaucrats, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. And then there's extremely overpaid government contractors making decamillions and sometimes billions off the backs of the working Americans whose wages they steal. And so, uh, the you know the the better DC does, the worst America does. Uh, and, and the better America does, the worse D.C. does. So I'd like to suck all that money out of D.C.'s pockets and back into the earners' pockets, the people who actually made that money, give it back to the workers and let them run their own lives.
0: But, you know, all, all you got to do is look at the trend lines, uh, you know, to see where we are as uh, as a country. And and they're not good. And, you know, typically trend reversals take some sort of major event in order for them to happen, right? There's there's no sign of the money printers slowing. There's no sign of the regulators giving power back to the people that that is ours to have and not theirs to take. Um, so in Bitcoin, you know, stands on the side. Here is this this threat to them, but now even the large institutions are throwing their hat in the ring. What's it going to take? And is it even possible at this point to turn things around or are we facing the dystopian social credit score hellscape that the films at Hollywood has predicted for these past decades?
2: We've got to be optimistic because we are headed down a path where we're going to go one way or another. It is a time of epic change, just like I said. Bitcoin's binary, kind of the world is binary now. We are not going; it is not the status quo. As of 2020, the world is changing, and it's going to keep changing. It's not just going to go back to "quote unquote" normal. 2019 is gone; it, our world is never going to look like that again. And the and every year that goes by, if you look at things that you know uh, from from the past, they're going to look more and more weird because the, that world is. Differently Now, their styles are differently. They communicate differently. Everything's different. And so it's very, very important for us to get this right in this epic time of change. I'm optimistic. I think the United States has gone through tough times before in the In the 30s. We almost uh, elected Nazis and socialists uh, to government. And in, in 1968, we had the assassination of two major leaders and, uh, you know, civil rights turmoil and war and all kinds of things. Uh, but we've come out of it. So, I, I you know, I, I look at it from an American centric approach because I'm American. Uh, I really hope that we come out of this. You know, I I support Vivek Ramaswamy. I think that somebody like that could could you know, that's all it takes. You, you elect him as president. Boom. It's all fixed. He doesn't We're have a chance,
0: though. So. He doesn't have a chance. I mean, I like the guy a lot, too. But right now, let's face it, Trump is going to be the candidate. Uh, the only way he's not is that they actually are able to, you know, convict him as a felon and he can't run. But otherwise, yeah. he, he's going to be the guy uh, he's pulling away. So with that said, it, would he fix shit if he went back a second time? Is it is like are the gloves off like, all right, I did this once. You guys screwed me. Now I'm taking you all down.
2: I think he might try. I wish he would have been more effective at doing it before. You know, he, mm-hmm. he didn't really drain the swamp. He didn't even fire Fauci. You know, I'm not I will support Trump if he gets the nomination. But, um, you know, I I wish he would have done a better job of not firing Fauci, in my opinion, is inexcusable. Operation Warp Speed was a failure. Uh, you know, he just didn't he just didn't didn't quite do it. And I wouldn't count him when he was at point oh, two percent. And now he's ahead of DeSantis out of nowhere. And, you know, he. It is early yet. The history is littered, you know, here up up here in New Hampshire, we have the first in the nation primary. And if you look at this time of year in previous primaries, the front runner is not a good place to be. You know, we have we have dozens of front runners, you know, John Edwards and Bob Dole and, uh, you, you know, Mario Cuomo and all these people who were absolutely thought for sure to be the nominee. Bill Clinton was in ninth place when he was in his primary and he ended up winning his primary uh, so I wouldn't count out anything. The world is is a crazy place. You know, Trump is older. There's any number of different things that could happen. I think it would be extremely unfortunate if they do uh, stop him from running. They're already trying in a couple states. Some of the AGs are saying that they might take him off the ballot. If that happens, then then all the more, if, if they make it so he can't run, I think his supporters would go to the vac- And then I think we really, really, really would need him to win just to unite the country and avoid, you know, the unthinkable kind of, kind of, you know, total chaos.
1: Yeah. So, well, I, I tell, I, t- I want to tell you this, Bruce, I think that, you know, um, I love the idea. I love the sentiment behind it, but it always comes back to this. People are going, yeah, vote harder. You can vote more and it'll be great. And I'm like, and that works out nicely until It seems to only happen in the key swing states where this stuff is so noticeable, and these issues are popping up. You know, if you've watched two hundred mules, you know that elections aren't ran fairly right now. So it's like, how do we combat that? How do we realize that hey, the money system in politics is elections are broken? There's so much corruption. How do we disrupt this? Well, it's good that you're talking about it.
2: For one thing, a lot of people are afraid to say and it's it's unfortunate it shouldn't even be a partisan issue everything's so partisan now uh but you know the the democrats had valid concerns about voting machines and a whole bunch of other stuff six seven years ago and you know then they switched their tune when it when it was to their advantage and that's unfortunate because there is problems you know i don't trust this this idea that you send out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of ballots by mail is just absurd you know you can't track the chain of command uh, you know, chain of custody on those. So those ballots so, yeah, has like some sort
1: of numbering system that were tied to it and easily trackable and blockchain can literally edit it. or it's anonymous, but open source. There's got to be a way. Yeah.
2: Well, even paper ballots going back to regular paper ballots, having a national voting day on paper ballots would 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 do immense. Uh, work to make these elections more clear. But, you know, I I, I am concerned about it. You know, I think there's and, and I wonder how much corruption there is down ballot, you know, in the Senate and the Congress races and even some of the local races and other things like that. You know, I, I don't trust the whole system. You know, and I don't know how anybody does, frankly, you know, this this rote line that the media says, like, our elections are fair and secure. It's like it's this point of pride. But I mean, you go into the election thing. I mean, it's run by a bunch of 90 year old volunteers. Uh, It's you, you know, there's there's not much technology. It looks very, you know. Rough around the edges, you know. I just don't trust it at all. For some, well, reason. it's also,
0: Bruce, it's also run by twenty-two-year-old activists, right? The, right. This, there's, uh, it's not good either way. And of course, voter ID is not. You know, um, a law uh, because apparently requiring people to have voter ID is racist, um, which I think is so insulting to people. <laughs> you know, that would right. solve it. And, and you know, we always talked about hey, if you have uh, voting on blockchain, now you got your one person, one vote, and, and it can secure mm-hmm. our elections so much better.
1: Yeah. My grandma just passed away, and now apparently she's going to be voting Democrat now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe she's going to vote two or three times.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And this is the problem. And, and believe it or not, there are people out there that call this a conspiracy theory. The most obvious thing in the world that there is voter fraud, that you've got these machines, that you've got these mail in ballots, that you've got mm-hmm. people running things. If you don't understand now that human nature is corrupt, then, uh, you yeah. know, you're not living on planet Earth. And I just don't well, understand. know. It's like
1: this. Yeah, it's like this. Once they tell you what you can't think about or talk about, then that's when you should be thinking about that, because there's clearly something there they don't want you to think about.
2: Yeah, yeah. If the election was clean, why are they acting exactly the way you would act if it was a fraud? I mean, what kind of what kind of country bans discussion of the election? I mean, they were they were banning people off of social media at the direction of the FBI and the DOJ for talking Mm -hmm. about the election. That's yeah. not what an honest election does. I mean, if, you, if you're if you honest, what you would have done is say, hold on there. Hold on there, Donald. Come on in right now. We're going to sit this down. Bring your lawyers. We're going to have a six-hour meeting, and we're going to hash this out right now. A long, long, long-form uh, discussion, and we're going to see what the truth is. That's the way you do if you're telling the truth. Um, mm-hmm. But that's literally the opposite of what they did. They bit, They boot the guy off of social media. They don't let him talk. They arrest his lawyers. You know, that's the kind of thing a banana republic does. Yeah. And I think it's so important for us to be speaking out. You know, one of the things I was very uh, outspoken during my campaign and I said a lot of controversial things, but I kind of wish I would have done more. You know, there was certain things, certain issues that I was careful about. And, you know, you do the kind of classic, I call it the 90s politician style nonsense, which is, you know, Mike Pence is a master of the 90s style politician, you know, where you say things that aren't really substantive, but you say them in a very slick an important sounding way, you know, <laughs> and uh, and, th- th- and that that's just that's just nonsense. And we need more substance and we need to call out the truth. You know, we need to call out stuff on this gender uh insanity we need to call out stuff on you know this idea for example you know that one six is a coup it's not a coup it's not a coup it's just not it's, if, if it was not. a coup it's the it's the stupidest coup in the history of the world you think somebody who's in charge of the army Navy, <laughs> i love how they cooed three.
1: down in the state between the stanchions on the red road carpet it's like oh yeah that was the most polite insurrection ever when they're walking in between the velvet road
0: yeah, but most people haven't seen that video, Trav, because the mainstream media doesn't show that video on social dude, media. Dude, that's so Block true, that man. Video. You know? It's not wow, just yeah, walking dude. down the, the through the velvet rope. It's in the in the Capitol building, in the rotunda. Being escorted episode. around. Escorted around. They're being very friendly with the police. They're shaking their hands. But yeah. mo- if you haven't seen that and you see that, that's the moment that your brain might go... T- just wait a second. This does not compute. This is not what I believed. This is not what I was told. Mm. And, and there's a lot of people that are trapped in the matrix still. And, uh, yeah. you know, getting them out, boy, it's really hard to do.
2: Once somebody's been lied to, it's kind of twice as hard to get them to uh, accept that that was a lie. And they also, I've seen this many, many, many times where you point out something that is a clear and total lie and then they still have the negative feeling have you ever met somebody and you think they're they, they're a jerk or something and then you then you learn you were mistaken and then you still kind of feel like they're a jerk <laughs> that's the way it is with the media only it's it's 24 7 times ten thousand. so for
1: example you know that's how my Joel feels about me now still He's <laughs> like, <"That didn't> <laughs> you
2: know they had this thing perfect example they said that uh you know, Biden repeated this line saying that Trump said that neo-Nazis and white nationalists are fine people. That's mm. been repeated hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. And that is not mm-hmm. true. Do you that know what, Bruce?
0: Fraud. I have a somebody very close to me that um when the election happened, they told me that I was literally supporting Hitler. And I confronted them um just last month. They say, you know, During the election in 2016, you said this and the fact that you think that I would, you know, literally support somebody who was literally Hitler, you know, hurt my feelings. You know what they said to me? They said Mm -hmm. there are very fine people. And I just wanted to scream. I'm like, oh, my gosh. All these years later, your head is so far up your ass that you are totally unaware. And it's it's incredibly frustrating.
2: Yeah, there's a good number of people that aren't aware. And that one is such an obvious hoax. And there's so many people that still aren't aware. And you can, I've pulled out the transcript and I say, look, one sentence later in the next paragraph, he said, I am not yep. talking about neo-Nazis and fine people who should be condemned entirely. That That's it, period. When you say that in a statement, you are, you are clearly and absolutely not saying they are fine people. He even went out of his way to clarify it because he knew that the fake news would try and uh, twist that quote around. And I show that to people and here's the problem. They look at it and say, oh yeah, or, 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 or mumble mumble. Well, he's still bad, he's he's still a terrible guy. You know, they, the damage has already yeah. been done because they've they, if you believe somebody's a racist for three years because you you saw this fake quote and then you realize it's fake, you still, it doesn't erase that that time of three years thinking they were racist. And you multiply that yeah. by 10,000, that's what you have
1: with Trump. A fork in the road happened where people started thinking that Trump was a racist. It was when Hillary was, they were having a hard time versus Trump. And so they hired Robert Cialdini, the dude who wrote the book about influence. And basically they consult, he consulted with the the Hillary campaign. Next thing you know, they're coming out and hitting him with all this racist stuff. And then I called out Robert Cialdini on Twitter on it, on one tweet, and boom, he immediately blocked me. And I think that that was what he, he used, the power of influence to create this perception about Trump, and the media just ran with it. He's a horrible person. He's a horrible person. The facts don't match up to the perception that the media sells you sometimes, and it's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, they do the same with uh, COVID. They do the same with the trans issues. They do the same with, with everything, and Russia, Russia, Russia. And uh, I, I should have tweeted on it because I said, boy, this is weird and suspicious. I bet you in six months that's all they're going to be talking about is Russia. Sure enough, they just kept drip, drip, dripping on this story. Russia, Russia, Russia. And then it becomes part of the woke consciousness and part of the uh-huh. mainstream It's media. a social
1: contagion, Bruce. Exactly. It really is. It's o- It's almost like how you're talking about the transgender thing. I saw a graphic that they mapped like based on the generations you know the boomers and generation x and and millennials and z and what what percentage of them identify as being lgbt or whatever and so like b- people who were born before 1946 it's like one one two percent and then like you know the boomers maybe three percent and then like the gen x like maybe three and a half percent but but gen z it's like Twenty, Almost 25% of people identify as LGBT. It's because of a social contagion that's sort of planted, just like this, plant a little seed, water the seed, and then you grow this huge thing like they did with climate change and everything else. So it's just wild how the media manipulates us, and now they have algorithms that can help them to manipulate how we think.
2: And that's why it's so important to talk to speak out early about craziness. And and we're surrounded by craziness so much. It's our responsibility when people say insane things to say no. There are two sexes. No, uh, it was not a coup. Uh, you you know it it's it's important to just flat out say what is true and get people talking about. It. I don't think we have enough discussion. Uh, in the world, it's great that you have you know programs like this, podcasts and things are popular now. I think we need more of that. And we need more with adversaries, because there's a lot of people who believe things that are just fundamentally not true. And they're easily proven not, not to be true.
0: But and it's important Bruce. that
2: they... That they be here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, again, p- people, everybody's just yelling at each other. I mean, we've been beating the drum on this show for years and people have called us conspiracy theorists and turns out we're batting a thousand. You know, <laughs> we're not on here saying the earth is flat. We're not on here saying that, you know, birds aren't real. Like we're not talking about stuff. We're talking about stuff that is demonstrable. True. And we've lost a lot of listeners. We've offended, you know, like we give a crap um people that turn away because they can't stand to handle the truth they can't stand and we've been to, to
1: and beat down bruce it's so unfair
0: It's <laughs> i know we're victims we're victims yeah. they, they can't stop and and look and see that you know i'm finally at the place with the democrat party where i go oh my gosh this is the party that supports killing babies that supports mutilating children that supports inculcating mental illness into the next generation like this is These are this is bad. And I'm not saying Republicans are good. Right. I'm just saying there is outright evil taking place uh, on behalf of that party. And for you to be able to say wag your finger at anything that anybody on the other side is doing is just pure lunacy to me.
2: Yeah, it really has jumped the shark. You know, I I sympathized with Democrat I was actually very anti-war. I was always a Republican growing up, but I really didn't like George W. Bush and the war. And so I was I was a, like an anti-war activist basically, and I made a lot of Democrats who were you know friends back in the t- in the day. And then once Obama got in there, I learned that they weren't really anti-war at all. They were just anti alphabet letter R. And they didn't care at all that Obama I, I went to all my Friends. I'm like, hey, are we protesting yeah. this guy too for bombing people all over the world? And they're like, oh, no, no, he's he's one of us. He's yeah, <laughs> got
1: right. right. a D by his, his name. We love yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. His, his no, it's might so have true. A Once a people deed. realize, yeah. and, I, and I, I think it's like this, it's like 75, 80% of people who are in Congress seem like they're part of the party. You know, it's like the Democrats and Republicans all kind of in the same gang, but they like divide themselves up to make it seem like, they're not all on the same team, but they all are kind of, oh, you know, it's sure. really weird. Like, what is it like maybe 15% of real politicians, maybe?
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, it's weird for me to even identify myself as a Republican, because I was always an independent or a libertarian. Mm-hmm. I declared Republican a year ago when I ran for US Senate, because, you know, I wanted to be in, the, in a main party and the Republican is the obvious fit. And I do like the Republicans that the party has grown on me because there is a Growing liberty wing. There's a very powerful liberty wing here in New Hampshire. We pretty much control the state house. And in uh, you know, nationally in the federal level, there are, you know, it used to be just be Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. Now you have Jim Jordan and Emmer and uh Ted Cruz and others that are that are either liberty or supporting, you know, liberty leaning uh in many ways. So so that's great, but you're right. That's still maybe a minority in the overall Republican Party. There's there's still a big contingent of the, you know, McConnell style Republicans that are really very much the same as the Pelosi style Democrats. You know, they're their Uniparty establishment hacks. Uh and something like McConnell, you know, looms heavily. You know, when I ran for office, everybody's like, oh, don't criticize McConnell. He'll he'll run his pack against you. Um, you know, they have great control. And that's you know, I, I don't have anything to do with those kind of Republicans. I'm I'm a liberty Republican. I'm much more of a Thomas Massey type of person. It's a decentralized Republican. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, de- good idea. Change is definitely needed. And the, the pendulum needs to swing and it needs to swing hard and it needs to happen soon. I mean, I'm, I'm of the mindset and i like to I'm usually optimistic as well. But if they're able to 81 million votes my ass their way again into the White House. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they've moved so what hard. About all, what I think
1: know. is even more important, Joel, is all of these local,
0: you know, um,
1: you know, candidates that are winning that are all powered by the same sort of George Soros funding. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I want these DAs to be. So they're, he's basically putting $100,000 in all of these different elections all across at the small local levels that are impacting these cities in horrible ways. You know, like look at all those, a lot of the homeless problems and all the, the stuff that's happening in these major ran blue cities because they keep putting these candidates in place. And a lot of times I don't think they're elected, they're selected more so, and they're placed because they have all that big money behind them because they're working on these little local cases instead of and then work way up to the big ones. So they end up having this whole freaking pyramid of insanity going on. Yeah.
2: And I don't under I don't know if people understand how important money is in this. That Soros money and and the Sam money, you know, don't forget Sam Bankman stole uh, thirty million from customers and gave that to Democrats. That kind of money is very very significant because political campaigns are like uh, marketing soda. You know, it is a very very well proven. A uh, serious marketing business with billions and billions and billions of dollars and a lot of brilliant consultants who know exactly how to maximize that dollar. So what the bad news is, it comes down to the penny. They can figure out to the penny exactly what it costs for a vote. They'll say, okay, in this district, it's going to cost you $13.27 per vote. I mean, they have it down to a science. It's just like if you went to a VC, and you said, "Hey, I have a new idea for a new soda. Uh, it tastes better than Coke and Pepsi." That VC wouldn't give you one nickel if they're smart, because they know that it doesn't matter if you taste better. What matters is your marketing, and you can't outmarket Coke and Pepsi, just like you can't outmarket right. the right. Democrats and the Republicans. So they spend this money. You know, in the race that I ran in, the incumbent has a ninety-eight uh, percent similar track record to Eliz- Elizabeth Warren, same voting record. Um, the guy who won the primary in my race. Don Bolduck. He's a general. He was one of the hardest working people in the campaign. He's up at four in the morning, staying till, uh, up till 11 o'clock at night. He visited every single town. He did 350 public appearances. She beat him. You know how many she did? I think she did two public appearances you don't even need to show up when you have wow. this soros money yeah because if you've got soros money you can just flood the airwaves and it is a science one of the things i was naive about i thought people would care about my ideas and care you know that i understand economics and stuff mm. nobody cares and nobody will hear from you I- unless you have that money but if, if you can be the the worst candidate ever like the incumbent who won maggie hassan and just spend, have your your Soros money and your outside, uh, you know, money spend. I think yeah. she raised a tiny, tiny amount from New Hampshire. She raised like a couple hundred grand from New Hampshire and got like thirty million from all these packs. So she doesn't even
1: need to work. Right. She doesn't need so to that show. has to end. So how do we fix that, Bruce? How what is the the disruption to the political financial systems? Because what is there now is clearly. Not good for we the people. So the the better solution is to make it so government is so small that
2: it doesn't have anything that lobbies lobbyists want. So you don't have these uh, armies of people in D.C. with their hands out trying to get a piece of the pie. You just, that would be a big start. You know, make it so that the incentives are changed, and that takes radical action. You know, we've got to slash government by 75, 90 percent. You know, ninety percent slash in all federal government. Uh, most Americans would barely notice. I mean, it, it's be amazing. Would, and it would still be huge. It's not like we. Well, most of them are that,
1: unfireable, that, though. Most of them, you can't yeah. even
2: fire them. Yeah, well, that that's that's what's interesting. One of Vivek's platforms is you can't fire them as president, but you can do mass layoffs and you can shut entire departments if they're redundant. So that's mm-hmm. what his plan would be, and I think DeSantis has, has has uh, adopted some of that in his platform as well. And I'm sure if Trump wins, you know, he, he will, he you know, if he's serious about dismantling this deep state, he's going to take a pl-
1: page from that yeah. playbook. Say Trump wins, like who is going to be the people who would want to actively work with him because they all get targeted. Like you saw, like whatever Trump would like uh, put a nominee up for, you know, the for the Supreme Court or any any of the people, the judge, they just fight him tooth and nail on everything. Right. So it's like, yeah. like in a lot of ways, he's having a hard time even getting attorneys to work for him on all of his indictments because of law warfare, this warfare they got going on. It's wild yeah. to me.
2: Attorneys are afraid to work with them. I mean, look what they do to Kavanaugh. Look what they do to his nominee. You know, I mean, I, I think anybody who was offered a position to do anything by Trump and especially the lawyers, that's particularly sad because every American deserves good representation when you start going throwing lawyers in jail. So, yeah, we've got to fix that. Absolutely.
0: Mm Well, a lot of politics in this. And as we warn people at the beginning of the show that, hey, you know, you, you might be offended. But, you know, if you got a strong mind, push through and then go do your own research and figure this stuff out, because if you're just going to be offended because you said something that that uh, that you don't like, Bruce said something that you don't like, then uh, if you're not being intellectually honest, you're missing an opportunity to grow. Right. And this is we all want to grow. We all have to be able to question everything. I haven't got it all figured out. Travis doesn't have it figured out. Bruce doesn't have it all figured out. But we've gone down the rabbit hole. We've asked the questions. You know, I think it was uh, Reagan that said, if you're uh, under 25 and and not a Democrat, you don't have a heart. And if you're, uh, you know, what, over 40 or whatever he said, and you're not a Republican, you don't have a brain. Uh, you know the, <laughs> there's there's a reason for that so let, let's let close with uh with this bruce let's get back to bitcoin um the four-year cycle traditionally has shown that next year we should be entering into a real bull market now i know that you know y- while you are a financial advisor this is you know people need to go do their own due diligence and figure out what they going to happen what do you think is going to happen are we going to run again is the whole crypto market going to follow in its wake are we going to see you know that six figure bitcoin what do you think
2: i certainly hope so and and i think like i said i'm i'm optimistic i've always thought it's a, a binary play usually when i start getting worried and saying oh boy you know what is this why is it not doing anything those historically tend to be the time when it does well it's usually when my taxes are due in the darkest day and i have to sell some bitcoin when i know it's low uh, that usually marks the, the the low point for the year or the cycle every single time, like clockwork. So with these things like BlackRock and you know other major investors coming in, I really feel like it's a, a major global asset that's here to stay. I don't think it's going to go to zero. I don't think it's going to fall apart. And if that doesn't happen, if it survives, then it shows its value by surviving. It shows that it is decentralized money. It is working. The network is up, and I think that the value will follow. So I would certainly hope to see six-figure Bitcoin if we go through the 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 cycle repeats like we have before. Bitcoin's always going to go down more than you think. And it's always going to go up more than you think. So you know we could have it test new bottoms now and or you know lows, kind of cyclical lows, and then we could see it you know in a in a course of sixty days run up past a hundred. You know that's mm. what we've seen again and again. Throughout these cycles, and I think it's here to stay, and I think it matters, and uh, the world needs it because fiat money doesn't work, and ultimately humans gravitate towards money that is the most scarce, that has the best properties, and Bitcoin does meet those properties. So I think that people will, uh, other, you know, more and more people will see that. There's more people kind of onboarded with the sort of sailor Ross Stevens kind of sophisticated narratives. And I think that's going to continue to, to show its value because there isn't any other ter- alternative. Bitcoin is kind of a silly and stupid idea, honestly, but it's way, way, way better than, you know, fiat. A bunch of bunch of Janet Yellens and Jerome Powell sitting up in an mm-hmm. office of a building that they paid for with money that they stole from workers deciding, lording over the economy and deciding how much money there should be. I mean, that's that's the ultimate uh, junkie altcoin. Uh, so Bitcoin does have much better principles and properties. And, and I think that the market's going to continue to show that and reflect that.
0: Mm. Bruce Fenton at brucefenton.com. Links to Bruce's other socials in the show notes at badco.in forward slash 694. Bruce, thanks for, uh, for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us today. We appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Bruce is a smart dude, Trav. I really enjoy talking to him.
1: Your time ran out a little too quick, so I think if they people have gotten to this far into the, uh, the the podcast episode, you got yourself an interesting one. I don't know that we've ever had one quite like this podcast before, Joel. Mm,
0: I don't know, but you know, definitely makes you think. And 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 if you disagree with uh, some or many of the things that were said, that, you know, I applaud your courage to stay with it because there's a lot of people when they don't like what they hear, they just they just run mm-hmm. off. And uh, and it, yeah. it takes courage to listen to opinions and ideas that you may inherently disagree with.
1: Yeah, it's like I'm so tired of the divide between red and the blue, but it's all really a shade of purple. And the more that people understand that, and you go, oh, okay, so it, it's it's not we the people, it's them versus we the people. Just understand how it all works because. Rich people, they don't tend to want to give up that, and they'll do whatever to sort of stay in the group. And so that's what ends up happening, especially if some blackmail gets caught up in the whole thing. You don't know what's going on in somebody's life, but I tell you what, pay attention, do your own research, and learn about it because it's a little, there's some crazy stuff going on.
0: We're more than six years deep into this coming up on episode 700 and appreciate you guys. Please do subscribe, review with five stars, ring the bells, tell a friend, tell your grandma, tell your dog. Dogs really like us. Something about the sound of our voice is very soothing. And when you do tell your dog, make sure that you tell him to stay bad and not pee in the house. Roll over.
1: Roll over. No. Don't, yeah, don't, don't pee in the house. You don't like that. <laughs> We'll <laughs>